Welcome to the next episode of the Austin Bar Association's Council of Firsts. I'm your host, Amanda Arriaga, First Latina Bar President. This podcast is made possible by the Texas Bar Foundation. Our guest today is Linda Garza, General Counsel of Siete Family Foods. Linda is a graduate of the University of Texas and University of Houston Law Center. She spent most of her career in public service in the District Attorney's Office in Webb County before joining her family business. Siete Family Foods launched in 2014 as a Mexican-American food brand rooted in family that creates heritage-inspired products made with better-for-you ingredients. And they have a wonderful mantra of family first, family second, business third. By 2022, the company was projected to have retail sales of $250 million and was the fastest-growing Latino-Hispanic food brand in the United States. Because of their commitment to the community, Siete Foods also distributes the Juntos Fund, which strives to empower and support Latino communities because Juntos es mejor. They have committed to award $2 million over the next five years towards creating positive change through collaboration and inclusivity. The goal is to build a more equitable and prosperous future for all by providing the necessary resources and support for underserved communities to thrive. I'm thrilled to have with us today fellow border girl, Linda Garza. Thank you for having us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Of course. I know that the introduction is always the most awkward part because I saw all these wonderful <laughs> things about you. So we're, we're now here to the meat of the episode. Um, and I want to start with why did you want to be a lawyer? Why did I want to be a lawyer? Well, um, my dad's a lawyer and I grew up listening to, and I was really, really young. So let me, let me backtrack. Uh, I was actually born while he was in law school. And um, I remember being a toddler and sitting on his lap um, while he was studying and he'd have these really big books open. They were very big books to me. And um, he'd be studying and I'd be sitting on his lap. And, uh, you know, I just I was very aware that my dad was a lawyer growing up. In my primitive mind, I didn't have obviously a complete understanding of what he was doing, but I knew that he was helping people. And I knew that he was helping people in a very important way, especially when he was working at Texas Rural Legal Aid. And um, I got a little, I was, I was aware that he was handling some cases that had a very big community impact. And so my very young mind said, I want to do that too. I want to help people. And that's, you know, that just kind of stayed in my mind my entire life. And I just always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. It was the only thing I ever wanted to be, the only career I ever wanted to pursue. And everything that I did from when I was in elementary school through college was with that goal in mind. You were literally born to be a lawyer. I was born to be a lawyer. And if you ask any of my teachers, they would agree that I was born to be a lawyer because I was probably one of the most argumentative <laughs> students in their class. Questions are important. And when you get to law school, they call it the Socratic method. So you were just advanced at a very young I age. I was just questioning. That's always right. questioning. Yes. That's right. So you spent most of your career doing very tough work. I did. Prosecuting sexual assault and abuse cases. Yes. And then you moved to your family business. Yes. So what is that transition like? And my cheeky way to ask it would be, is it harder to work with criminals or your family? <laughs> Uh, that's a tough one. I'm kidding. Um, well, you're right. I was handling very, very rough cases. It was emotionally taxing. Um, it was physically draining. I was in trial very often. My days were sometimes be at work at six in the morning so you can prep 
for opening or closing arguments or witness um, witness questioning, and then stay at the office until really late, and then get home and stay up until midnight and prep for the next day. And then it was like that is when you were in trial prep, and then when you were actually in trial. And then aside from that, you're dealing with the murder of a child or the very serious sexual assault of a child. And it was it was it was exhausting. But it, I feel like I was made. I was born to do that too because somehow I was able to handle it for 13 years um and it was very rewarding and um sometimes I miss it um I felt like I was really making an impact in my community by keeping these people off the streets and um it was I I thought it was probably going to be my my life's work uh, but then, you know, as I was handling all of these cases and really very, you know, focused on raising my family because I have four kids and also being this, you know, trial attorney for this very serious um, unit at the district attorney's office, my family was doing all of these really cool things. And it was like I was watching through the window um, all of their, you know, success and their progress and um you know, I wanted to be a part of it, but I didn't quite know how to go from being a prosecutor to helping out my family. Um, and then one day my, my dad and my brother sat me down and they said, you know, we need you to come on board. We really want you to come on board. And I was really nervous and I said, okay. Um, and so there's been a learning curve, obviously. But it's not anything that we didn't all have to figure out going to law school and then getting our first job outside of law school. I mean, they don't teach you how to be a lawyer in law school. They give you the tools. So, you know, I just had to kind of dig up some of my old tools from law school and, and figure it out. And then I had my dad there and my brother. They're both lawyers. Um, my brother's CEO, but he went to law school. And then my dad, who's been with the company pretty much since day one, as also um, general counsel. They, they helped me along the way. I would joke with my dad, um, when he would, you know, hand me a contract that we had to review. And I would say, you know, where's the dead body? Um, I'm confused here. I don't understand this. And we would laugh about it because it really, really was a totally different facet of the law. But, um, I figured it out and, you know, Sieta is doing really well and the legal department is expanding. We've just hired an associate general counsel and we're really excited with, you know, all of the, the stuff that we offer um, Sieta to help it grow. And it's just been such a, a great experience. And so since you are so close and you all spend time on the weekends also, are you able to turn it off or do you also, are you watching football and then somebody asks about a contract and that's I'm I'm guilty of that. So <laughs> I sit in an office with my dad all day. You can imagine how that goes. I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest child. And um, so I sit in an office with my mom and my dad and now the associate general counsel. And I've always been the most argumentative child. I've always been the one who challenges and who's not afraid to say, you know, all the things. And so there have been some, you know, interesting conversations in the office but in the end you know he's my dad we love each other very much we hang out 
in the evenings, sometimes I have my parents over for dinner or on the weekends we go out to dinner. I go over to my parents' house. I very much enjoy being around my family. Um, and it's a very common uh, conversation um, where I'll say, oh, dad, you know that thing we were working out, working on um, on Monday? And he'll say, ay, mija, I don't want to talk about business right now. <laughs> And I'll say, but dad, just real quick, real quick, before I lose the thought. And so we'll have a quick conversation and then go back to enjoying our adult beverages. So, yeah. I love that. My dad will do the opposite. I am not a part of the family business, but when I go home, he'll sometimes just leave a contract on the coffee table and say, if you wanted to look Lightning. at that, <laughs> if you wanted to look at that and give me your opinion, you could. And I'm the one that's like, dad, I just want to hang out with you. And he's like, but also, if you would review this 200-page contract and give me some feedback, that would be great. <laughs> but then funny. we might have parallel families. So to your question, is it easier to work with family or criminals? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say I'm actually really blessed to work with my family. It's, it's been such a great experience. We have um, lunch together every day, which is nice. And, you know, we hang out on the weekends. My sister is one of my, well, both my sisters are, are like my best friends. But one of my sisters... Um, we go to concerts together. We go to dinner every week. It's, it's really nice. I, I very much enjoy working with them. And it really does help that our motto is family first, family second, business third. We truly do live that out every single day. And juntos es mejor. And do all things with love. And I think that is a great combination and a great formula for not only a successful business, but a happy family. Well, and you might be one of the most happiest, well-adjusted lawyers I've ever talked to. <laughs> and so I love that. So your family is full of love and then you made this business full of love and then you wanted to share that with the community yes. with the Juntos Fund. Yes. So can you tell us about the Juntos Fund? Yeah. So when when my family was starting the business, they were having to tap into their personal savings and personal you know, earnings in order to fund the business. And that's a common issue with Latinos who are starting businesses. And studies have shown that when a Latino is starting a business, they're using 70%, 70% of the funding that they're using for their business is coming from their own personal savings. There are 2 million businesses right now being run by Latinas, but they only get 2% of venture capital funds. And we, we truly understand what it feels like. And we want for other Latinos to enjoy the same success that we have. And so because we've been blessed and because we've been so fortunate and because we've had people who have believed in us and invested in us, we want to do the same for others. And so we started the Juntos Fund. This was our third year. Um, the first year we awarded uh, money to a, to a chocolate and it's a chocolatier and Orchateria. It's called Coco Andre. They're in Dallas. Um, they received funding. The second year, there were three recipients. This year, nine recipients for a total of $200,000. Two of them here from Austin, um, uh, Comadre Panaderia and um, Cocina de Consuelo, which is a restaurant that I really, really like. It's on Burnett Road. If you haven't tried it, you should. It's really yummy. Um, and so, yeah, we just really want to spread the love, spread the wealth, give everybody an opportunity to succeed, show people 
show entrepreneurs and other Latino businesses, we believe in you. And here, here is something to show how much we believe in you so you can go realize your dreams. Is there a way the audience can help support the Juntos Fund? Sure. So the next cycle of the Juntos Fund will be in the summer of 2024. So I think the best thing that anybody can do is send our link and our application to any Latino business that you know that's a qualifying business. This year it was Latina-owned food establishments, food trucks, um, and um, I think cafes and bakeries. Send it. We received over 300 applications this year, nine, pe- nine recipients. Next year, who knows how many um, recipients there will be. But the more applications, the better. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a great joy reviewing the applications. We had a committee of, of uh, team members at Siete who reviewed all the applications. It is so wonderful to see the inspi- read and hear the inspiring stories. People who have the ganas to, you know, succeed. And despite challenges and obstacles, they're still there pursuing their dream. And so if you know somebody who could use um, the support or who wants to apply, send them our link, send them the application. That's the best way to support the fund. Well, and if you'd like, we can put that information in the podcast notes. So sure. we can also put the information of your nine recipients. Yes. Because supporting them yes. seems like that would also be a force multiplier for that what you did. That would be great. Yes, that would be awesome. Yeah, I can attest that Comadre Panaderia is delicious oh, as well. She makes some amazing cakes. Mm-hmm. They are fantastic. Yeah, I'm not sure why. If people have never been to a Mexican bakery and had pink cake, pink cake is delicious. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a yellow cake with pink frosting and sprinkles. But whatever that, that is childhood for me. And she makes some fantastic gluten-free pastries, which we are, we can only eat gluten-free ones. um, But she makes, oh gosh, fantastic pastries. Well, and speaking of supporting other Latinas, um, tell us about the event at the White House you attended as part of the Poderistas. Oh, that was such a, oh my goodness. That was such a fun and awesome opportunity. And even more fun because I got to experience it with my sister, Veronica, who is the founder of Siete. Um, Poderistas is an organization that was founded in 2020 that um, lifts Latina voices and amplifies Latina voices. They're all about promoting community and promoting civic engagement. And so they had this um, event in Washington, D.C., where they gathered a group of Latinas. Um, backtrack, founders of the organization include America Ferrera, Eva Longoria, um, Elsa Collins. They're all um, Latinas who are out there in the community. They're change makers. And so they assembled a group of Latinas from all over the country. We all met up in Washington, D.C., got to know each other, um, networked, exchanged stories. We got to go to the White House and we got to see uh, the president and the first lady take off in their helicopter. It was the coolest thing. Um, we got a tour of the White House. We got to sit down with, we add, this, was the, this was one of the coolest parts. So they had us all in a room. Um, we were, they were going to talk to us. Some of the like leaders, um, at Latina leaders at the White House were going to talk to us about policy and what, you know, President Biden and his administration are doing to 
um, uplift the Latino community, the initiatives that he has. And they brought in every single Latina who works at the White House. And so we all got to be in the same room together and introduce each other or introduce ourselves to each other and um, tell tell everyone a little bit about ourselves and our story and where we came from. And it was just so inspiring to be in that room and to see all of these awesome Latinas who are working, you know, for the at the White House right now and, you know, putting their stamp um, there at the White House and doing whatever they can to be a great representative for the Latina community. And were there quite a few Latinas who work at the there White House? There were quite a few. The room was full. It was full and it was just an amazing experience. So yeah, that was lots of fun. I still keep in contact with a lot of the Latinas that I met. Um, it, it, it was just awesome. I heard about the event when it happened because I love Robin Arsan from Peloton. Yeah. And she kept posting about it she on Instagram. Yes, I know. So I'm jealous because that seems like such a fun group of ladies. It was, and I love so it. when I was researching you, Google stalking you, and I saw that you were part of that event, I thought, well, that is a wonderful thing. Um, a great representation of the Texas Latinas as well. Yes. Yes. It was it was a lot of fun. Super memorable. One of the most memorable experiences, extra memorable because I got to hang out with my sister in D.C. And I got to see my daughter. She goes to school at American University. So I got to hang out with my daughter who was, who's going to college there. Well, and that must be an inspiration for your daughter as well to see it's not just you and your sister. This is this is a way to uplift all the Latinas nationwide. Um, and it's getting recognition by president and this audience at the White House, that is a wonderful thing for the audience to know is happening and for your daughter to know that's happening. Definitely. So what organizations have meant the most to you personally or professionally? So uh, because I was the chief prosecutor for the first, it was called the Child Abuse and Sex Crimes Unit in one administration. And in the second administra administration that I worked for, um, it was the Special Victims Unit. Because I was the chief prosecutor for both of those units, I was the representative of the DA's office um, on the Children's Advocacy Center board. And so I, we worked very closely with the Webb County, Laredo Webb County Children's Advocacy Center as um, in my capacity as an attorney there at the DA's office, because that was like the central hub for all the services for children who had been victims of sexual abuse. We had our therapists there, um, our forensic interviewers. And so I was very intimately involved at, at that level and then also on the board. So also the fundraising and the just management of the organization itself. I sat on the board for several years. And to me, that, that um, organization will always hold a special place in my heart. Um, it does really great things for victims of sexual abuse in Laredo. It continues to do really great things. Um, Siete, the Siete Foundation continues to support the organization every year um, and will continue to support the organization. I'm also on the board here in Austin for Vecina. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that organization, but it provides, um, we provide services for um, immigrant services. So, Training of attorneys, so attorney mentorship, community education, um, 
mobilizing volunteers. And that organization is very important for me too, especially because I am a Latina who had immigrant great-grandparents um, and grew up in a city that was like 97% Hispanic and you never knew if the person sitting next to you in class was documented or not and never even thought about it back then. So helping people legally pursue citizenship or some kind of residency um, is very important to me. So I'm very proud to be on an organization that does great work in the Austin community for Latinos. Well, and we can also put a link to Vecina yes. as well, so that if attorneys are interested in volunteering there, yes. then they can do that as well. That would be great. Yes. Great. So what advice would you give to attorneys who want to follow in your footsteps of being the general counsel of a major organization? <laughs> well, I was lucky to be born into a family <laughs> that um, had this amazing business. But really, I think if you're going to be general counsel of a, of a company, um, you really need, number one, keep your integrity intact. That's really important. Um, keep your ethics and integrity in check your entire career because they're going to look into that. And if, they're, if you're a candidate for, for general counsel for a, a, a company, they're going to look into that. Um, gosh, what other advice could I give? aside from being born into the family. <laughs> Look around for families you could be a part of that have businesses. That talk to you. <laughs> I mean, you have to be a problem solver. Um, you're not going to necessarily be the person working on every single contract, but you are going to be the person who's going to have to give the board specific advice on something. Um, you know, be proactive uh, for the organization. Um, so that you are not playing defense when a business issue comes up. Um, and if you, if you need to stay abreast of all the business trends um, and, you know, just be prepared to be an advisor. Um, so take leadership roles. It's super important to know how to be a leader and lead a department and be the head of the department. So I think one of the things that prepared me was that I had always been a manager. I was a manager um, pretty much from the moment I started my career. I became chief of a, of a felony unit a year into being an attorney. I was a baby lawyer and I was heading a very serious felony unit. So I think it's important to take leadership opportunities, whether it's in the office that you're working or in organizations in your community or organizations within the field, like the Bar Association. Um, make contacts, network, um, get your name out there. Uh, make sure that everybody knows the good work that you're doing so that when you apply and they go around asking about you, they say, oh, yeah, I know her. She's very involved in the Bar Association and very effective um, as the committee chair for whatever. Or, oh, yeah, she works for our office and she's done a fabulous job managing this unit. She is ready for whatever all the time. So I think that would be the best advice. When I imagine one of the, one of the tenets of keeping your integrity and your ethics intact is I have seen some general counsels throughout my career, and they think their job is just to say yes to the boss. 
Brill- that's brilliant. Brilliant boss, whatever you want, that's the answer. Um, and what you really have to do, I think, is tell the truth. Yes. Here are the pros and cons. And even if that means the boss doesn't want that opinion, but they need that opinion. Yeah. So part of, a lot of what we do is if we do this, these are the things that can happen. If we do that, these are the things that can happen. Um, these are the these are the consequences on this side. These are the consequences on that side. Here you go, leader, uh, leadership team at Siete. You now you now now you're now we've given you all the info and tools that you need to make a good decision. Yeah, that's wonderful. So my last question that maybe is a little bit difficult is what's next for you? Gosh, what is next for me? Well, I'm gonna be at Siete for until Siete no longer needs me. Um, but eventually, I think one day, one day, I think I'd like to have my own practice. Um, I'm not sure what type of law just yet. I mean, I've handled prosecution. I've actually also been a criminal defense lawyer. I've done some family. And obviously, I've been in the business part as well. Um, but I would like to have my own firm. For now, uh, I'll just keep Working for the family business, it's been very rewarding, um, especially when I see something that I know that I've worked on, I can see it come to fruition. Um, you know, I, it, it's rewarding. And it also gives me a lot of time with my family, not just my, my parents and my siblings, because all seven of us work for the company, but also I get to pick up my son every day from middle school. And so it's given me the flexibility that I need right now um, to function as a um, good general counsel and a good mom. Well, and based on all of your experience and your love of the community, might I suggest that in between waiting for your own firm, you might consider one day running for office. Ah, You run for office, make a difference at a grander level, whatever level that could be. And, and then when you are that elected official, then I'll bring you back. Well, thank you for that. I did run for office once, actually, now that you are mentioning that. I ran for judge in Webb County back in 2013. It was a county court at law position. I ran against an incumbent who had been there for like well over 20 years. And um, I lost by about 2,500 votes. Um, it was a very eye-opening experience being a female running for office in a very male dominated we have we do have female judges we have female judges in Laredo um but it's still a male dominated profession and there still are not here in Travis County but in other places there are more males than than females in elected office and so it was a very eye-opening experience Uh, I'm glad I did it I learned a lot about myself I learned a lot about who my friends are and who my friends are not I learned a lot about what it means to be a female in a male-dominated area. Um, And even though some people might look at it as a failure, like, oh, you lost, I consider it one of my biggest successes. And I don't know what the future holds for me. My dad would say, don't do it, mija. (laughs) But I don't know. And, you know, what I do know is that no matter what I do, I want to be a good representative for the Latino community. I want to be a good representative for all Latinas um, all over the country 
And I just, you know, want to do everything that I do. I want it to be done with the best intentions. And so if that means running for office one day, well, then it does. Well, I just want to assure you, you are a good representative Thank of you. the Latina community. <laughs> and we are thankful um, that you are here. I'm really thankful that when I met you and I said, hey, will you come talk to me on this podcast? You immediately said, yes. Of course. I I'll come back anytime. I love uh, chatting and, you know, talking about ways that we can uplift our community or, you know, uplift not just the Latino community, but just our community as a whole. I mean, the world is not in the best shape and hearing positive stories and sharing positive stories is a way to um, find joy in all of the kind of destruction that we're experiencing and watching. Well, maybe when it's time for your Juntos Fun to open up again, we can chat again. I would love to come back. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank I appreciate you. it. It was a lot of fun. And thanks to all of y'all. We'll see you next time.